This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. So good morning again, everyone. Uh, it's a great uh, privilege and pleasure to have Shoho Kubast with us uh, for this period of time, this, this late summer and fall, um, and to offer uh, her teaching which she's also doing in a Monday evening women's group uh, that meets twice a month. Some of you have already participated in that. Uh, just for those of you who don't know her or don't know much about her, Shoho began her practice after meeting the founder of uh, Jikoji, which is a temple in the um, near Los Gatos in California, uh, who came and assisted Suzuki Roshi uh, before that. Um, she met him in Austria and um, received priest ordination from his uh, disciple, Vanya Palmers, and then came to the United States uh, and uh, went to Tassajara for training and studied at all three of the uh, training centers of San Francisco Zen Center um, and uh, also had a very strong association with Chikoji. Uh, and then in, 19, in 2010, she joined uh, Kokyo in Santa Cruz, where he was then uh, the head teacher uh, she's trained extensively then in Zen and also in the Tibetan Yingma tradition and has studied in Nepal. And uh, we're fortunate to have her with her multiple perspectives on Buddhism. Uh, and so, Shoho, welcome again. <laughs> thank you, Choro, and thank you, Makio, for having me uh, speak today. It's an honor to discuss Dharma with you. And uh, I invite you to raise your hand uh, anytime you have a question. Um, there are two pages here, so I might not see you all the time. Um, speak up, just basically speak. I haven't come to most of the online events. I'm also doing an MA uh, program right now in online, so uh, I apologize. Uh, uh, due to that, I'm uh, refraining from most other online activities. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but in order to join you and enjoy the and, and join this discussion that's going on already, uh, very lively at Austin Zen Center, I um, just want to lay down a foundation of uh, mutual understanding, so we're on the same page, and then talk about the union of emptiness and compassion. Okay. So I think the uh, main basis that we share on this topic is um, are the precepts and the understanding and belief and trust in cause and effect. So there is a classical uh, of Dogen's that's um, highlighting the importance of trusting uh, cause and effect. And many of you have done so, I believe, by uh, taking the precepts because um, that trust is spelled out in every line of, of those precepts between every word, which is basically that there is a place of refuge, of freedom from suffering and of liberation. That there is um, cause and effect, which um, can be followed and um, like kind of harnessed through the pure precepts, which is uh, embracing sustain of um, you know right conduct. Um, embracing and sustaining everything that's good and embracing and sustaining all beings. That's an inner attitude of benevolence um, that 
um, is also further laid on in the next major and minor precepts of activities that are virtuous, that are considered virtuous, that are considered um, wholesome. And that this kind of activity would lead to happiness, that you know one is exercising these activities in order to um, you know have a clear mind, have a bright heart, have happiness in your life. Um, these precepts are leading. It's a it's a clear understanding of cause and effect following these precepts. So that's kind of the ground we share, especially all of us who took the precepts. And as some of you may have noticed, it's not just done taking the precept once. One has to basically remind oneself over and over again that this is what one is doing, that this one, where intentions are, where our hearts are. And um, once a month is a good reminder. That's where full moon uh, ceremonies come in. And and um, but daily, hourly, <laughs> cause and effect. If one really is, you know choosing daily activities um that's like um importance to to really consider what's wholesome what's good what are what's beneficial um and that's where we come straight to compassion and awakening uh, uh emptiness so um what is emptiness emptiness is the understanding that um any phenomena lack inherent existence um, so any phenomena is, um, does not have an inherent self, is free of an inherent self, is not um, created, has, doesn't act out of its own being. It's all, um, they're like more considered to be like a dream, like a bubble, like an illusion, like a mirage. That kind of understanding has been set forth in the Diamond Sutra and Heart Sutra and many of the foundational texts of Zen and all of Buddhism. And compassion, compassion is very simple. We're not knowing this kind of truth, we're constantly following our ignorance, the ignorance that phenomena are this way, that beings are this way. And therefore, we are grasping for them. We are, you know, thinking we need that coffee, we need, you know, um, more cool and less hot, and we need all these arrangements that we need in order to be happy. And we found ourselves busy all day, <laughs> all day following these activities, you know, of, you know, warding off activities that we don't want and following acti um, activities and outcomes that we do want. Yeah. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just something we do. And obviously we're already trying to harness that kind of, basis of our life by you know doing the precepts so there's there's already some kind of awareness here that we share that this is what's happening any questions about this so far anything that you want to bring up regarding that anything that you were like yes but <laughs> yeah so i was i don't see so i'm just keep going and i invite you to keep you know, considering what your question, if you have a question. So what's the unity of both, you know, emptiness and compassion? What's the unity? I'm saying unity is um, something that's very much uh, inherent there. So um, I think the unity we can see in an ever maturing way of how um, compassion is experienced and how emptiness is experienced. Um, so emptiness, I propose all of you already have experienced in the sense of, you know, 
a quiet moment where um, and often um, like glimpses, glimpses of emptiness. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interested in this path. <laughs> so glimpses of uh, an open mind, um, uh, a lack of grasping, um, and sense of being okayness, you know, and sense of um, allowance. You know, having a sense of allowing things to happen. So if you had moments like that, maybe in a sushin, you know, after a long day of sitting, or you know, just like feeling kind of an overwhelm of a relief or goodness, these are tiny glimpses of emptiness. And uh, just to um, share something that's not being talked about in Zen very often is that in the Mahayana tradition, that glimpse, um, which is kind of like considered like a you know, um, firefly kind of <laughs> light uh, is then compared to uh, millions and billions of suns, which is like the stage of Buddhahood. Like, so on, and in between there are these stages that have all the practitioners and adepts who have gone before us on this path have um, experienced in their experience and they're coming up with these stages in order to um, delineate that there is a progressive development you know, that even so we can be very happy of having a, you know, happy moment of um, glimpsing some form of emptiness or having a good moment of experiencing overwhelming compassion and feeling really, you know, open hearted, you know, these come and go. And if it's still in the stages of coming and going, um, you know, more work needs to be done because there are stages where this won't come and go anymore and it, and you are really resting in it. And, and there's like this image of the mountain and Zen, you know, uh, where you're resting and the clouds, you let the clouds come. Yeah, there's an image of um, um, the moon, you know, pointing to the moon where you really realize that things are just reflections and and uh, one is kind of resting in that understanding. So though there's more to come for all of us, I think, and and then I encourage you to, to um, um, engage these stages and learn about them. Any questions so far about these? Anything you have or have not heard about it? Tracy? Yes, good morning. Did, did you say in these glimpses of emptiness, as you put it, um, that, that openness, that, that ease, that that was like, um, like a sun and that, uh, let's say... A oh, firefly. Talk about like that. a firefly. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> the other image you offered... Of Buddha was the like, sun. Yeah. The sun. Thank you. That's Buddhahood. Like right. the, kind of like the distinction between these small moments and these really big moments. And you, it's a reason you don't hear about it in the Zen literature so much because we're really focusing on on the. Um, and we can talk about it more about the here now um, aspect and um, and um, wanting to reduce grasping. You know, and it's so natural if you hear about stages, you're like, wait a minute, I want the next stage and the next stage and so forth. So, so there's a certain encouragement in Zen that's very emphasized to not have any gaining idea. But sometimes um, that can fall into the other extreme of not knowing that there's anything more to um, um, learn. And so that's why I'm mentioning it. Was there any other question? Yeah, Shepard. Thank you for speaking with us. Um, I would greatly appreciate hearing your elaboration of the stages, just to clarify my understanding. 
Sure. I will do it very briefly. There's a lot to be said about it. Um, my understanding is that um, that there's a path of accumulation. Um, and so there are two stages. One is uh, the five stages of uh, the so-called uh, foundational Buddhism. Um, and then there's a 10 stages in um, uh, Mahayana and they kind of overlap. There's a, you know, in South Asia, people really like to delineate a lot of and mapping out a lot of correlations. So I'm talking about um, more familiar with the 10 stages right now. And, um, and though there's a path of accumulation when it basically accumulating wholesome activities um, the more wholesome activities and virtuous activities we do, that our mind becomes more at ease. It becomes flexible and buoyant, and um, and and that's where I'm going to talk about of also about the union. You know, like combining activities of um, virtuous activities of you know generosity, patience, um, all six parameters, um, and and um, and and these virtuous activities. I, I also um, training this mind, like it's it's um, opening the mind, you know, opening our heart. Um, and in this path of accumulation, we, um, we if you know we keep inquiring and studying about emptiness, we are coming to an understanding that's the direct seeing of emptiness, and that's called the path of seeing. And that's a uh, a moment when we are uh, very it's a very it's depicted by joy. Like there's a joyousness, a deep sense of ease and joy um, um, that that um, marks that moment, and um, and you know it. I mean, it's it will be clear. That's what I heard. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then now I'm getting this territory where I don't know, uh, but I only can I really tell you about scriptures. That's all I'm saying. Is um, and then this stages are basically like the 10 perfect, um, perfection, the parameters, they kind of deal in um, smaller and smaller ways, like um, greed, hate and delusion are kind of let go of on this first stage because you see emptiness direct as you really know the truth. And so you're kind of letting go of these kind of afflictive emotions, but you are having a lot of cognitive, uh, we are still having a lot of cognitive obscurations to, to um, to clarify, and and that's going to happen on these ten stages uh, of uh, the Bodhisattva, um, ending in Buddhahood when one really has clarified not only all the afflictive emotion but also all the cognitive obscurations. They're like really purified. Um, so that's like a really rough, <laughs> and clear. but there's a lot to be written about it uh, in the sutras. One of which is a Samdhinimuttana Sutra, which Tenshin Roshi taught about in the book The Third Turning. <laughs> At least a little bit of it. He talked about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, so just to go on to the unity of, of um, emptiness and compassion. Um, so there's three types of um, compassion uh, and they actually correlate. So I'm glad I, uh, Shepherd, you asked me. So they kind of correlate to these stages to some extent. So on our stage, um, of accumulation and you know before the path of seeing, we are you know seeing beings. That's what we see. We see ourselves and I see others, and there is um, a clear duality. You know that's what kind of our suffering is. We kind of constantly trapped and uh, ensnared in a sense of duality. It's me here and you over there. 
you know, that's kind of the sense that we walk through life and beings are truly existent. And if they are saying something bad to us, then that's really bad. You know, it's painful and we're really affected by it. Um, we, um, and it's not a bad thing because we are able to really, like I said, apply all these activities of precepts, you know, in these situations. And it's really good. So it's actually really recommended to be really aware and embrace our sense of duality in which we're living, because it also gives us the ability to be very careful. You know, if we know of somebody else being able to uh, punish us any minute, like, that's not based on our own will, <laughs> you know, uh, then, then we will be more careful, you know, we have a sense of um, respect towards uh, unpredictability, so to speak, of some so-called other that can uh, affect us. Um, so, so, but it also means we're like meeting a lot of pain because, you know, um, not only are we constantly uh, catching ourselves, um, doing various habitual activities that one could say are stupid <laughs> for example like said we just like um doing things where we're like oh i knew better and i'm still doing something that's um you know i would have you know in my right side of mind i wouldn't have done but i'm still doing it so so it's not only that we see ourselves pursuing various habit formations that um uh, that hinder us and and um kind of hijack our effort of wanting to be generous or wanting to be you know, patient with somebody, you know, still blow up on them or something like that. But we also see it in others, you know, and then there's personality types and, you know, um, different things where we, you know, can of stand next to ourselves or next to us and like, well, I really do not understand what's happening here, you know. And so those moments uh, is definitely happening a lot. So, and that's the moment of compassion. Uh, compassion is basically like, the the uh, the other side of wisdom uh, of of kindness, loving kindness. So the they're kind of traditionally uh, defined as kindness is um, the wish for others and oneself and others to be happy, and compassion is basically the the, uh, the flip side of that is wishing oneself and others to be free of suffering. And so if we find ourselves doing things or find other people doing things that are just harming, harmful, or, or um, not constructive, or, or not helpful, not virtuous, then, um, you know, or they find themselves overcome with unpredictable, you know, circumstances like sickness or death or loss of any kind. Um, these are painful moments, you know, we, we keep all day acting as if we, you know, get away from these moments, but actually we don't and they keep come happening. Yeah, like, people cut your internet or something like that. Um, anyway, so painful moments happen and, and, and outer use forces happen and this compassion, the ability to be with that situation, the ability to be with that pain, to fully acknowledge the pain, to not turn away from this pain is that moment of compassion. Yeah. But in a mo at the same time, it's also a moment of wisdom because the only way one is able to... Um, um, stand basically with pain not trying to numb oneself and try to turn away from it is really understanding it's you know causes and conditions that happen it's by the end of the day it's nobody's fault you know like 
big phrase um, that shit just happens, you know, things happen, you know, and to try to blame anybody or anything, it's not, it's just adding tension on top of tension. So, so that kind of wisdom that can come with compassion, that is like that kind of uh, support each other, you know, um, because everything else would be just running away and that's not compassion. Like um, to say, oh, I'm having a lot of pain. I want to be free of it, but I'm like, um, taking sleeping pills and uh, or drink or turn myself in alcohol that's not compassion that's just it's turning away it's turning away from the what that where the, did that pain come from like the understanding of where does the pain come from what's my contribution to it but um you know what are the different options you know there's all there's so much clarity to every situation because every situation is conditioned every situation has many causes you know and uh, conditions that are contributed to it. So staying open to the open to the causes and conditions, and um, is that wisdom side, the, the the being open to the emptiness side. That meaning every pain is not inherently, it's not an inherent pain. It's a created pain. Um, and then the compassion is like wanting to be free of it. Any questions about this first compassion? Or any comments? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, who was first? <laughs> uh, to, to... I'll, I'll I'll go first. Okay. Um, so I'm curious, like you, you're talking about compassion as being the flip side of dealing with with pain, and, and is that sort of compassion for yourself and enduring it? Is it compassion for? maybe the individuals or the circumstances that lead to, to the pain? And do you look at pain as necessarily like a, it's a product of bad action or non-wise action? Is there, is there pain in the world that, you know, it's a com the world is really complex and um, pain is a natural part of it? It's just unavoidable. There's life and death and illness, and those are natural parts of life and significant sources of pain. So I'm just wondering how those all fit together. Yeah, yeah. I heard multiple questions. So uh, just remind me if I'm hitting all of them. <laughs> um, first of all, so compassion. Um, when I talk about the flip side, that just to clarify that, and and you, might, uh, it's not that you. Um, I didn't mean that. It's, uh, so there is uh, kindness of wanting to be happy and the wish of wanting to be free of suffering. These are kind of the two that are just very much together. Um, the unity of emptiness and compassion, uh, when I talk about that, then I talk about the ability to be open to uh, pain. Um, basically, that's maybe the best way to, to say that. Meaning um, pain happens. Yeah, ultimately, it, it's, uh, it seems to be part of our experience and, and it's a feeling. Um, and uh, if you look at pain as a phenomena, it, it comes through causes and conditions. And these causes and conditions seem to stay in the cloud, like in this particle of Dogen's when he was talking about, you know, that us, we do have trust in cause and effect. He basically says that cause and effect are happening in three times. You know, they're happening through the ripening of um, karma right now. That's like bottom line as um, at past conditions lead to the present um, maturation. But we don't know how it works. We, I mean, like 
uh, I'm a chaplain. I've been working in the hospital, and and particularly, it, it's um, it's difficult. Like like cancer patients say, you know, why do I have cancer? You know, did it was it the tomatoes I ate? You know, I mean, we just kind of want to figure it out, but it's really really hard. It's just so much more complex. It's like something that uh, is said in Buddhism. Only Buddhists really understand cause and effect thoroughly, and and. And there are definitely uh, stories in the Pali Canon where the Buddha says, yes, um, this is a maturation of this karma and so forth. Um, and we kind of yearn for that, right? In the middle of this chaos, we would love to know why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to somebody else? You know, but there is no clear answer. There is, or the one clear answer is only some truly awakened Buddha knows all the causes and conditions that come together for a certain event to happen or for a certain maturation. Sometimes we can see, for example, um, I'm, I'm in the end of my 40s. I learned about my personality types uh, quite a bit in my last 40 years, just basically looking at the wall helped a lot too by um, um, discovering all the different you know, patterns of, um, you know, impatience or uh, cravings and so forth that I'm just having as, as, you know, habitually I'm just drawn to, you know, and sometimes I can say, yeah, I adopted that for my parents. That's what I'm used to in my friend circle. You know, there's certain conditionings I can maybe put a finger on, but it doesn't really tell the whole story, but it gives me to some extent a little bit of an, um, an ease, you know, to be like, oh, I, I can I can trust the fact that everything else is probably also coming together from many conditions. So it's just giving me a little bit of a um, of a trust in cause and effect further. Um, and an emptiness is kind of like, and that's why I'm saying it's in union in this first stage or this first um, compassion that we all get to exercise. We can see that compassion is a mind training. Yeah, it's very much a way of, you know, not only seeing the emptiness side of um, the things of everything is, you know, dependently arisen. My brain is conditioned. You know, my personality is conditioned. You know, this my personality contributed to this kind of situation, so I can see why it created discomfort. You know, it's it that's one side, but the compassion part of it is being able to allow that. Being able to for pain to allow to have unfold because it's not a, it's not nothing we can avoid. It's kind of that would be like really battling uh, and and windmills. Yeah, I mean it's like not anything we can ever do is get rid of pain. Yeah, it, there's no getting rid of, but there is a wish of wanting to be free of it. And I think freedom in context, and I know freedom is an overused word. But uh, freedom here would be really that sense of allowing, that that kind of okayness that, you know, even horrendous situations, knowing that they are um, came together out of conditions to trust that there is a good intent in it, like intent is not the right word, that there is a good outcome can come out of it, you know, and sometimes we maybe also have experienced that, that there were painful moments in our lives. And later on, you realize this has really helped me. Like there are some people, particularly when I was working in the hospital, they're like, I'm so grateful for my for my illness. You know, I, it has showed me and has helped me transform things that I could have never done by myself. You know, where like certain horrendous situations that from, you know, from the outside we can't or our intellectual mind are kind of... Um, rational linear mind just can't 
get a hold of how something horrendous and and sad and and painful actually can be a blessing you know it's a paradox and i think the compassion part is really um opening the ability to have um this paradox to allow this paradox to unfold and to not fight it and by not fighting it we can ripen and reap reap the um the blessings of it even more so we can just really harness it and and um and uh, use it for our life and then contribute to your you know freedom from suffering you know for ourselves and for others does this answer some of your questions Um, I see Jose and also David, uh, David P. Also, yeah. Mm. All right. Um, I want to run something by you to make sure I understand things uh, correctly. So, uh, it's common for people to get into a us versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and if I understood your uh, your talk so far correctly, it's less an us versus them, but rather us versus causes and conditions. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, what's afflicting, you know, uh, them is also afflicting us uh, at the same time. Uh, and the way out of it is uh, through compassion and through recognizing uh, this uh, this change in uh, adversarialness. Uh, is is this at all somehow at least a little bit accurate? Yeah, it goes in the direction um, ultimately, and that's uh, the path of meditation uh, that leads us to the insight that there is no us on the first place. <laughs> there is no us ever to be found. So in this way, um, uh, it, that's, it, that's a topic of introspection of to really see um, to which extent that what I call myself, you know, um, is also a product or it's a, um, how do you want to call it? A, um, agglomeration is kind of one of the words you find in the text, you know, to um, that that's not having a um, inherent um, motivator, you know. Um, um, what what could be called an internal motivator, if, if one wanted to use this, and we have to work with paradox, um, that would ultimately be our own true nature. Uh, and um, and that's the beauty again about talking here about um, compassion and emptiness joint. Um, as I was just uh, basically told this morning in a, in my own Dharma talk uh, that I heard um, was that they're actually our, the expression of our true nature. So so it's not transformation is really not happening, and the understanding of who we really are, the understanding of this life, is really really not happening in the form of acquiring um, knowledge and acquiring reasoning and then acquiring um, strategies, it's really about letting go. It's like, I'm sorry, you know, you might be tired of hearing it, but it is true. The transformation really comes through um, uh, releasing, releasing the thoughts of who I think I am, releasing the thoughts of, you know, um, how things have to be and should be or shouldn't be, you know, but allowing, allowing what's happening and um, and letting go of any superfluous um, um, extra um, ideas, you know, because the our true nature there is it's not the nothingness, which was interesting when I, I looked up for this purpose, emptiness on Wikipedia, and it's kind of like 
the first thing that shows up is it's depression, <laughs> you know, it's depression and nothing, you know, it was like this really negative connotations and the Western understanding of the word of emptiness. And uh, one had to really scroll down to Buddhism to like say, no, it's not, you know, Buddhism, it's not what Buddhism thinks of. So I wonder how many of you have been, um, you know, curious about emptiness given this, you know, mis- uh, difficulty of understanding the word but it's emptiness is actually a celebration a celebration of what it's a celebration of our true nature it's the de- celebration of qualities that are um that are inherent of us in all of us and um that are um that are shared that we can really see uh in in everybody um and 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 i invite you to do so like for example, if you see a insect, any form of insect, you know, um, you can look at its qualities. You know, what's it doing? You know, it obviously is not, you know, obliv- video oblivious that you're watching it because it's not fathoming that other being in this way. And um, but it's crawling along and it's um, you know exploring what it wants to explore on on its surface, wherever it is. And it is afraid of being killed in some way or another. It is, you know, responding to any changes in a quick way that's self, obviously very self-protective. Yeah. So, so the wish for um, the wish for wanting to survive, the wish of uh, wanting to be happy, wanting getting the nurturement of wanting to live. Um, these are like um, very shared. Um, uh, yearnings for for um uh for happiness that that we share in all beings and once you see this being is as the same as i am even though it's a tiny little thing there's a certain love that comes up there's just like a love of you know appreciation and and uh, tenderness and uh and, and being in touch with our vulnerability yeah our shared vulnerability um and and also this yeah, this wish for happiness and the wish of wanting, like you see no other, like all mammals, for example, that take care of their young, take care of the tribe. There's all these qualities that are just shared beyond species, beyond um, yet anything that has mind, has a certain um, shared um, trajectory. Yeah. And, 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 and we can celebrate that and, and explore that by, letting go of idea of who we are and diving into the, the possibility that you may be um that there will be something to be discovered that we can really un unravel uh and, and and discover something about our true nature about our true self mm-hmm. thank you yeah 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 i think i'm next um thank you Show this is great. Uh, also, thank you, Jose, for that reframing. That was also really helpful and interesting conversation. Um, the the kind of comment slash question that I was thinking about, I think actually you just covered. So maybe I'll just touch on this briefly, which is I'm really thinking about scale. So applying the framework of of emptiness and compassion. Um, to a situation I have in my home, situation I have at work. Um, You just mentioned an insect as a great example of scale. 
Um, but then I also think about racial injustice, um, horrible decisions that are made in government, reducing women's health care, for example, one recent one here in Texas. Um, and that's where I, I just wonder about how does this apply in scale? Um, and I think really you just covered it with that insect example and it, it, but about um, letting go, letting go of your sense of individual, um, your inherent self. I think is a big part of it. Um, so that that's just where I was at. Thank you. No, thanks for giving voice to that. That that is an activism right there to to really keep uh, raising, you know, the the pressures that are on, <laughs> the pressures, the shared pressures, your individual pressures, giving voice to them, and we kind of naturally do. Like um, you might notice if we talk with anybody, but if there's something that bothers them, that's the first thing that pops out of their mouth. Yeah. It's just like, we have to give voice to what's hurting. We have to give voice to what's out of balance. So in this way, there is an innate activist, uh, uh, activism in us. And, um, but also to, to allow that, um, that your concern and your wish will be effective. Like, I do understand that we are very uh, oriented towards, you know, the outward and um, have a, in this culture, a very materialistic worldview. Um, and so it might be hard for some of you to really consider that your wish in your room with nobody around, you know, will have an effect, you know. I know for some, for some people, it's very easy to think like that way. For other people, it's not. But it's you for you to like, for example, being able to um, name these and have these um, places of concern in your mind, yeah? Um, and, and you're raising them and voicing them. Um, for your, Even if nobody were to hear it, your ability to, to have that wish of wanting them to change and wanting them to heal and wanting them to, um, that's a force, yeah? And you probably, given that you are giving yourself to this force of um, balance, of well-being, of justice, you know, of racial equity, of women's rights, um, you probably will go next time you just do a very normal thing, um, uh, even if you don't think about it, um, uh, and go to the supermarket, you might do an activity um, that contributes directly or indirectly to um, to those to the relief of that suffering, just like that very wish. And, and I think that um, we kind of keep underestimating um, and, and maybe because we are underestimating, we keep um, uh, also missing out on which changes have already done. I mean, how many things have already been done that have been um, um, contributed to, to the relief of those very big sufferings, you know? Um, it is, I guess, a certain tendency out of needing to protect our values or needing to protect our our people that we keep focusing on the threat, and and that's kind of like kind of a stressful situation to keep being staying that threat. But on other side, of course, it's important, I guess, like I said, to to keep raising it. But if we, like Roshi always kind of said, tension Roshi said. Um, the best way to be creative is being relaxed. The, like our, our response really comes out of a place of relaxation and creativity. And so relaxation is really inviting creativity forward. So, so that's exactly, so if you have these vision, you can really also keep putting them on your altar. I hope 
and wish you have any of you have an altar at home or, or a Buddha statue at home or anything that you feel um, you can relate to as a wonderful presentation of your of your um, of your source of refuge, you know, your belief in that there's something greater than anything that's happening. Um, and and um, something that will also make a change, you know. So if you have that place that there is a source of refuge, that there is a place that um, has um, more power than anything that can ever manifest, then um, giving your things over, it contributes, for example, like you can write down your, um, you know, women's rights, um, um, social justice, all of the things, you write them down or you uh, have a representation thing and you give it to that source of refuge. That's kind of like a little ritual or an act of that letting go, of that um, handing over and allowing. They are still there, but they are in a place where they're good taken care of. And, um, and trusting that our shared nature and our, all our wish of wanting to be happy, happy will contribute to, to the relief of, of that kind of suffering or the relief of that kind of pressure. Um, and, and you're stepping back and allowing those pressures to, to manifest, you know, allowing that pain to manifest will contribute to your creativity, you know, your creativity and your ease. You're like, you know, oh, I can see it from a different angle now. I can see it from a different, you know, there is having that creativity in our life is super important, you know, and we have seen it. I love it when then the Women's March happened with all the, you know, and all this, there's creativity out there, you know? So I think there is, uh, yeah, yeah. So trust, again, trust, the trust in cause and effect. Uh, was there some questions? Thank yeah. you. Sherry has a question. Sherry, yeah. Thank you, Shoho. Um, yes, my question is, uh, you just said at the end of your very last sentence is trust in cause and effect. And uh, it seems to me that um, when we trust in cause and effects, because we think that we can figure out what caused such and such. And so we have this sense of control in our life, which makes us feel a bit more comfortable because we are creatures who seek comfort. But um, it seems real simplistic because we'll never know what caused this. Even people that follow the precepts still have severe suffering and stuff. So I think we should let go of the whole idea of that we can control anything which brings me to the groundlessness of life that just not knowing, like we can never say this caused that. Why I wasn't the tomatoes that caused my cancer. And even if it was, it was zillions of other things as well. So this idea of groundlessness of just not knowing and being comfortable with it instead of thinking that we can control. Yeah. Yes, we can control our own personal life by following the precepts, but whatever the outcome is, is what comes out. Is that yeah. correct understanding? It is. However, it, um, uh, so Dogen also said uh, in many instances, don't be content with little. So don't um, kind of skip over the fact that you yourself will become Buddha. And once you're Buddha, you know all the causes and conditions. Yeah. We kind of want to put that into the mythical um, you know, draw a kind of thing because you're like, oh, well, 
me become Buddha, what does it mean, you know, and then me knowing all of course and fact, you know, how, you know, it is a certain kind of denial of the fact of this promise. And, um, and maybe I should also just uh, keep going here with these, uh, the other two compassions in order to make that clear, because um, it uh, is a transformation happening and the transformation is palatable. It's not just like, um, um, understanding is not just intellectual. Understanding is an entire body understanding. And because it's an entire body understanding, um, um, we will know these causes and conditions and we will uh, be utterly comfortable with them. You know, so let me just say, and then, and then Sherry, you tell me if, if uh, that addresses some of what you're saying. Um, so there's this, uh, so three forms of compassion, three. Um, one is this compassion for beings. And, and, and by the way, there is many Buddhism, particularly Mahayana Buddhism, because it's very central. It's a wish of wanting to become a Buddha for the benefit of all beings. It's, you know, uh, the four um, uh, vows that we, uh, Bodhisattva vows that we also keep chanting and uh, Bodhisattva vow of wanting to have that wish for awakening um, in all our situations, you know, for the benefit of our beings, to have that part of our motivation is crucial. It's a, the most building block. And again, it also goes into believing that this is possible. Like we will become Buddhas and then we will know cause and effect. Uh, maybe not the only reason why you want to become Buddhas, but the main reason wanting to become Buddhas is to benefit beings, meaning what is happening when you're Buddhist, not only that we know cause and effect, we know... Um, um, if when we are Buddhists, we we uh, have all these skillful means at our disposal, like um, skillful means being uh, we know beings, we know what they're hung up with, <laughs> and um, we know how to help them. So we we have this incredibly um, tool set of um, upaya of skillful means that we can use, and so. Um, and our um, our perception is changing. Um, so if we are uh, realizing more and more how like uh, studying emptiness, seeing the um, conditions for our um, life, you know, coming together, um, um, and that there's no true being here, that we are, you know, five skandhas that, you know, like the Heart Sutra, we have five skandhas, and there is really not, we are not here the way um, how we think we are. Like we think we are uh, um, a singular self that um, is um, kind of responsible, like you said, in control in some way or another about what's cause and effect. And, and, um, and that is not so, we are, um, the teachings are saying we are not in this way, you know, we are, we are appearing, we are having an experience, we are seeing phenomena and they appear to us, but it's not happening in the way we think it is, though there is a mis big misunderstanding. So that's a hard sutra teaching. There is a big misunderstanding of how things are. And once you're opening and studying what what is my misunderstanding here? You know, what am I keep grasping? Why am I keep grasping? What am I holding on to? Can I see more and more that this cup, this pen, um, um, that these things are not inherently 
established. They're not inherently its own things. Um, then um, one way to approach that, like the Buddha said, it's like a dream. Mo many of us had maybe night uh, dreams at night. And if you um, remember in that dream, you are really thinking it's true. And you're so surprised to be wake up and find yourself in your bed. Right? But in the dream, you really thought it's true. So if you, nobody or nothing can really prove that what we are doing right now is not a dream. You know, it is very dreamlike because this is how dream experiences also, also feel that way. There is a certain, you know, sense of dimension. There's a certain sense of, you know, experience and, and we really think it's happening and, and it's happening right now. So there is um, a beautiful app, if anybody's interested, called the Bodhgaya Finder. Um, it's, um, the rec it reminds you three times a day that everything is a dream. So if you like get that, uh, I really helped me when I was in a hospital because I really could see the dream like uh, nature more and more working and how things happen and changing. I could have never made it up myself. You know, it's just there's something there that seems to be like magical, like a kind of sense of synchronicity, you know, of like, well, I, I just needed help here and suddenly this help shows up, you know, or there's a certain... Um, so you probably had those moments sometimes where where you just didn't know how, but something got solved, even so you wouldn't have never anticipated it. Yeah, or or there's just these kind of magical moments in life. And I feel like with our materialistic outlook, we're depriving ourselves of these magical moments, of you know, how come you know, even come lamities or whatnot, well, how come they're happening at this time? There, there were there were sometimes there was some little magic yeah COVID some people are like wow COVID you know some people really see it as like a as a blessing in some form you know uh, uh what it has done to to help slow down our, our um destructive activity of nature so there's sometimes um there's an angle of perception when things do look a little more magical and that's kind of all to say that it's easy actually if you kind of can see that if you're open to it, if you're open to receiving these kind of synchronicities, we are able to uh, open to the, to the possibility that things could be just like a dream, and 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 just you know reminding ourselves a few times a day things are like a dream, uh, things are like uh, you know the border bubble, you know like all these examples that would have mentioned. Um, um, there is already like a, sh a shift in perception. It helps us to not grasp so tightly on things like it breaks down the pattern of our clinging and grasping for things that's real which is one of the major causes of suffering um and then so it in that we all can see a kind of a change in our perception and and it also um uh sees helps us see impermanence so impermanence is one of the things that dogen uh, realized when he was eight, his mother died, and he looked at a um, incense stick and saw the clouds fading in the sky, and he realized impermanence. That was one of the major milestones of his spiritual journey, and um, really having strong conviction that everything, everything is impermanent. Like everything is fleeting, everything is going to change. You're like being really resting in that. It changes your perspective, and it changes. Um, the idea of who you are, because then you know you can change into a Buddha. Yeah, you you know it. It's it's not impossible to to see this world transformed. How is it being transformed? 
So, um, so this basically was the second type of compassion, the compassion of seeing um, things as being impermanent, but seeing ourselves and others chasing after things as if they're not, you know, chasing after, you know, really existent um, things that are supposed to satisfy us. You know, it's kind of missing out on their fleeting, you know, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know. Anyhow. So the the uh, third one is non-referential compassion, which is like really seeing that um, there are no um, truly existing things in this world, like really coming to a strong conviction of of um, of things being like a dream, and and in in uh, sort of sense, that's uh, something um, that's being understood in uh, knowing we are. We are utterly are in Shakyamuni Buddha's pure land. Yeah. So this is we are. We are initiated in Shakyamuni Buddha's teaching. We are living into his pure land. We have access to his teachings, and we have. Um, yeah, we are facing him obviously because we all like um, took refuge and you know and and are interested in his teachings and are inquiring into it. So so we have access to this pure land and this pure land is uh good and <laughs> and and we are able to see it you know it is accessible to us that it is uh it's it it's perceivable you know that it is good um and um and so have and that also means that we are you know um have the ability to manifest the pure land you know one day so the Shakyamuni Buddha's um, um, act is so kind. Like for him to become a Buddha, I think in many traditions or uh, stories in our tradition, I really keep pointing out that it's the utter kindness of him, of him to like display the story, to you know do the whole thing of like leaving the house, you know, searching on the path, making mistakes, yeah. Uh, um, uh, finding enlightenment under the Bodhi seed, uh, Bodhi tree, and then on, on the Bodhi seed, and and from there on teaching, and then and and then leaving, and and how you know Lotus Sutra is big on saying you know he, he never came and he, uh, he never left. There is, but it was for the kindness of all of us, and and I know sometimes we go into well, this is you know um, we don't want to take on any myth, but if you went to Sashin and it was very blissful, you probably have seen the pure land. You know, you have seen how, you know, trees are suddenly like unnameable and they're like, seem to have jewels on them. And, and, and everything is actually very peaceful out there because everybody's really just like, you know, going along, having a day, you know, <laughs> having a sunrise and having a sunset. There is a lot of peace there. Um, and, and that the source of our unease very much comes out of our thinking about it and pondering it and 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 yeah and then being ease and um, um, so it, that's the potential of of the, our practice uh, uh, in in meditation and in sasan to to open to this incredibly vibrant uh, vibrancy of the present moment and and the present moment and the power of our minds the power of our hearts and our shared minds and our shared hearts and um now i want to hear from you what do you what do you think yeah 
Tracy? Yes, Shoho. Um, have you ever noticed that sometimes it's easy to not appreciate the fact that you're noticing, or let's say, that everything is sparkling? Everything is just as you said, that ease. And like, yeah. And I'm going to give my attention to something else. I, what? How could, you know, looking back right after a how could that something else be something, let's say, worthy of one's attention when everything is just as you said, let's call it Buddha land, sparkling and right. and I just wonder if you noticed that. <laughs> I did notice it and, and my form of thinking um, uh, like embraces more and more um, a form of compassion that acknowledges that we, most of us, are not raised in Buddhism. Most of us have been raised in a different uh, spiritual tradition and have been told different when we were in the time of childhood and we were in the time of being the most open to the magic of this world, we were told a different story. And some of the story that we were told as painful, which is like, um, like if you don't love, for example, I was raised Christian, you know, if you if you not love God, he doesn't love you and he abandons you, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever kind of painful version of some kind of undertone of some Abrahamic tradition or, or non-tradition whatsoever, where just human behavior is being just magnetized uh, 2000%. Um, um, it's not helpful because it's just like perpetuates and, and, and um, bring certain tendencies, your human tendencies, uh, habitual tendencies, like just coming out of ignorance, you know, ignorance of this pure land, ignorance of our true nature um, into just more deeper and subtler layers. So I feel like we are still in a way pioneers to uncover um, this fact that we are okay, like coming out of tradition where I was told I'm not okay, and I'm the main reason why why somebody had to die on the cross. You know, um, is is not very helpful. You know, for one's own inner sense of well-being. So, um, and I'm not blaming that uh, Christian tradition for doing that. It's just that's what they came up with, and they made it, and they had have their own methodology. But some of the methodology maybe has some, you know, side effects that are, we still maybe having to work with. Um, it's a kind of helpful response <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's kind of helpful just, just that we can uh, you know, something so extraordinary can go so unappreciated due to almost willfully at times i've noticed unappreciated due to well let's just call it habit for now habit just, just it's really just that simple yeah, I mean, it's like it's like if you ever rolled a piece of paper and it was rolled like this for like hundreds of years, and you try to unroll it, that's the only thing it does. It just rolls right back into, it. and it's not even you know it knows better to stay open or whatever, but it's just the thing to do. Just so used to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Two. Two. Yeah, I I feel like. Um something that's been coming up a lot for me in practice recently. And I've also observed in my friends is just how much resistance there is to, uh, as you were pointing out, to 
to thinking that it's okay to be a certain way. Like it's okay to have like a fear of being hurt. Like that doesn't mean that I'm like weak or something. And uh, like I, I have a friend who recently uh, broke up with her boyfriend and said that she she, she was feeling like she, she literally used the word evil for like hurting him in that way. And I was trying to provide the perspective that like you're only doing the world a service if you're like being authentic to your feeling like you're the way worse thing would be to keep going with the relationship if you really didn't care, continue to care about them. And it was just very, <laughs> yeah, she was very resistant to that. And like I see those similar forms of resistance, like the one I was thinking. And yeah, just amazing how little trust has yeah how, how little we're taught in our society to trust that it's okay to feel the way i do and that there's nothing wrong with me for being that way it's very sobering yes and i feel in that way we are in many ways um revolutionaries you know because how many of us are able to take the space for our emotions, you know, able to take the space for our grief, you know, grief barely does, doesn't even be mentioned in our society. Yeah. Uh, to take a time for grief. Uh, and, and it's only allowed, let's say if somebody really dies in our family and then it's only two weeks, you know, as if grief and the whole journey of grief would fit into a category, you know, it's, our life is grief. How many things do we have to grief? You know, changes, you know, inner changes, just moving places. There's, there's so many layers of, you know, um, of, of um, basically processes um, that we do that, that just build up because we don't give some space and things become more tense and more, um, more friction. And be able to take that space and that no, I don't, I, I cannot, and I don't want to be productive. You know, like the the sense of productivity to be so overemphasized is not disservice to our human nature because our human nature um, has it works on its own clock. Yeah. It has its own way of um, processing and and um, and churning. And I could see why, why um, you know, the whole Buddhist and Indian movement started with the Shramana tradition, which were people who really like, I am getting out of the productivity realm. I am going to a place where um, I'm taking that space to really just attend to just that, um, the, the uh, inner workings of this mind in order to help others um, to, to be... To, to become free and 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 then become, become have, uh, learn the skills that's needed in order to respond uh, skillfully, um, because for example, what I think I heard was that the Buddhist monks, the thing they were sought out a lot, uh, they were really good with um, um, diseases. They were able to help people with you know being sick, being having illnesses they were doctors you know they are doctors buddhists just talked a lot about being doctor so so but you know like you most of us know uh doctors have a lot 
time in training before they really are able to get on a patient. So that taking that time is so that inner learning about oneself, that inner learning about our own mind. Once you know about your own mind, you know about everybody's mind. Like you said, you were able to discover this in your your friend, you know, something that you can very much relate to. Yeah. And then be able to be skillful. It sounds like it's good response you have. Mm -hmm. Rich? Hello. Thank you for that wonderful talk. That was great. Um, I uh, wanted to ask you about, you, I, uh, in your introduction, it was said that you studied in Tibetan traditions. And I know that in Tibetan traditions, oftentimes they talk a lot about com compassion practices in more explicit terms than they do in Zen. Is that true? And if so, what uh, aspects of Tibetan practice have maybe helped you see clearly uh, the compassion side of things in in practice is my yeah. question. Yeah. Um, so um, basically, the Tibetan Buddhism is Indian Buddhism. How it uh, it came across starting from the eighth century to the twelfth century, and before yeah, Buddhism was kind of erased from India in the twelfth century. So we get a lot uh, about. Um, learning about the whole development of the Buddha's teaching through um, learning in the Tibetan tradition. And one place where compassion comes in is from a teacher who um, uh, started the whole uh, mind training practices in Tibet that uh, some of you maybe have heard. Norm Fisher wrote a book about the Lotrum trainings, and they're very much focused on um, uh, developing a mind of, you know, that's, 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 um, soft and, uh, and flexible and compassionate and kind. And uh, also again, out of A, because it's our true nature and B, because the mind that uh, just realizes emptiness can be very hard. It's uh, tearing down the walls between self and other, but then it doesn't know how to relate uh, versus a mind of compassion um, it knows how to relate, you know, it, it, it makes practices to relate, you know, and it is open to uh, relating in a way that might be, you know, painful or help uh, in painful situations too. So one stays kind of open to the relatedness of our shared, shared um, nature. And um, so the Lutong teachings, I definitely would point to that, but I wouldn't say that uh, there is no compassion in Zen. Um, uh, so Zen obviously doesn't uh, care much about mind training. It's really uh, people who came to the Zen tradition had the training in other schools before. You know, there were so many schools in China and so many schools in Japan that um, many of the first adepts were, uh, who were drawn to Zen came from. They already had their mind training practices. Um, and once they have some mind training practice, it's really about becoming free, you know, making that um, um kind of um, step of, of um, freedom, you know, um, knowing that this is kind of like cutting, cutting through something that was kind of like uh, Kenju or breakthrough or, or so forth. And, and particularly in the Rinzai tradition, that's where um, then kindness on, and, and uh, compassion is talked differently because um, there they're talking about kindness and compassion, really about the main part of being kind and compassionate is helping somebody else to be liberated. That the kind of Zen kindness and compassion is uh, uh, utterly um, being committed to somebody else uh, reaching liberation. So Lin Chi's famous grandmotherly mind, yeah, uh, uh, and 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 that's what how Rep also likes to talk about it in many ways is that 
there is a very masculine way of going uh, Zen, and that's how we see it in the forms. You know, they're very linear. You're going to get up and you go to, you know, <laughs> you go to Zen and you sit no matter what, you know, and, and you kind of make a great, great effort. Um, but what is that internal, that, that, um, that kindness? The kindness, it's that compassion uh, that really wants beings to be free. You know, if it's just about our own um, wanting to be free. For example, I can tell a story that when I was training in Queen Gulch, I um, went to a retreat, five-day retreat, and I was totally set on wanting to uh, practice asceticism and got permission from Rep to explore not lying down for those five days and um, while I was in silent retreat. Uh, now, because, you know, I heard it's like, you know, one of the ascetic practices that one does and um, have been done in the Chinese Zen tradition. And so after the second night, I was pain, my whole body was just screaming of wanting to lie down and, and, um, and I realized I could not proceed because I didn't have the kindness towards myself of being able to bear the pain of um, not lying down. Like I couldn't, I was just like so sad. I was just basically taking all my inspiration from this male side of Zen of go forward, break through, you know, achieve some kind of um, accomplishment. Uh, and I totally missed out on training in this, in this soft side which is basically in this context, the ability to bear pain, you know, and the ultimate pain we need to bear in Zen is that nothing ever arises, you know, nothing ever comes to being, nothing, nothing ever dies. Like the really the, you know, great cause of uh, the great matter of, of birth and death in Zen, uh, that, that utterly stillness, it's a stillness that's not death, but it's imbued with this quality of love. Yeah. And, and so training in, in Zen and compassion and in, in Zen has a lot to do with um, the ability to, to um, be present and open. And that's what we all train on, obviously. And that's what instructions are to be present, open to the constant change of, you know, joy and, and pain, uh, um, pleasure and, and gain. And uh, uh, so these kind of winds of, um, of the world, you know, to 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 be open that if that if there's a uh, that we're not getting fooled by any of it, you know, and having a really a softness, having a softness, having a spaciousness, having the cow on the field kind of thing, you know, having the, you know once one really looks uh, with that kind of understanding of compassion, one can see all these pointers in the in the Zen literature. It's not using the word compassion, but it is this form of softness and. Um, and 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 um, gentleness and buoyancy, buoyancy of the mind, because that what uh, compassion does. It really helps this mind, this determined mind, of wanting to break free from suffering, to uh, not go anywhere, to really just stay with what's happening right now, and uh, to be able to hold it. Because the liberation comes from within. <laughs> the liberation comes from um, that kind of handshake with with that. Um, with the pain or the discomfort or or the situation or even joy, like even uh, like a joyful moment, accomplishment moment, you know, that's gonna vanish. So so can one not get pulled by any of it, by the by the um, polarities of things, by the 
tension between the polarities? Can uh, can one be just stay open and grow some space around it? Just just tie a little bit of um, gap that's uh, just utterly aware, just really knows everything is a moment of perception um, of of awareness, and and it's gonna change. And but the awareness itself is not changing. The awareness itself stays present. And uh, and and in order to stay present, it has to have this kindness and the compassion and this and the softness, uh, the kind of feminine um, side of it, and that's a kind of where Zen balances itself. So, let's just answer some of what you. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Very much. That was great. Yeah. Somebody else. I'm sorry, I didn't read the chat. Um, anybody having a question? For comment. Oh, um, how are we doing with time? Oops. I would say last call for questions, and then we can go into breakout rooms uh, right um, after after we uh, maybe Shoho at some point will do the um, the end of lecture chant. And uh, but if there are any questions, I think this is time to ask um there's a question here that i see from larry uh are you trained in psychology as well as spiritual training from a while back and um i uh I, I do have some psychology training in my past but honestly um i do struggle with um with uh, the duality that's happening in psychology of you know um how the mind is seeing separate as a body um so I, I still am flirting very much with that field but i'm not sure how to to um, integrate the whole non-dual tradition that i'm in with um, the western approach to psychology um so um uh, yeah, but it's in, in the area, I think, if that's undoing your question about, um, about if I have training psychology, but also ultimately all of us are psychologists if, um, if you are looking at your mind. I think looking at one's mind is um, you will recognize that your mind is somebody else's mind, somebody else's mind. It's just, you know, taking the... Um, taking the whole personality traits aside, there's just so much similarity in all of us that one can really um, talk about us being, um, being, being equal, being, being, being the same, being, and that we, like I said, we share over all species and uh, beyond all species. Uh, I have this quote from Buddha Palita. I don't want to miss reading because I just really like it. Um, so uh, what is the reality of things just as it is? It is the absence of essence. Unskilled persons whose eyes of intelligence is obscured by the darkness of delusion conceive of an essence of things and then generate attachment and hostility with regard to them. So again, the, the emptiness and the compassion part that that's in union and that's kind of driving our path is really understanding that, you know, ignorance is the main um, force that's getting us into trouble. <laughs> Reversing ignorance is uh, starts with letting go of any form of grasping 
And once we are able to relax our grasping and our attachment to um, reality as we think it is, but just being open that we might be mis have a misunderstanding and there might be more to, to reality than we can uh, fathom, um, then uh, compassion is really kicking in that allows for that difference. Uh, compassion that really is willing to, you know, be open a, to the grief. I mean, how much grief is there to just like realize that we were like, you know, uh, chasing around um, objects that don't never even existed. Um, and, um, and that some of our investments are just really um, not leading anywhere. Yeah. So uh, being able to let that go, being able to feel that pain, being able to um, allow for um, our love to, to infuse everything with compassion and with appreciation, like a deep sense of appreciation and uh, training in that until there is a clear understanding of um, emptiness and, um, uh, and, and, um, and that everything is impermanent, that um, nothing ever arose or ceased, uh, letting that um, um, understanding unfold, which very much is conjoined with all the Buddha. So we're not doing this ourselves. We're not somewhere in a corner having to do this. We are doing it with all the Buddhas. They are guiding us. They are our forces. They are coming through our teachers, our Sangha members. Um, so support is on every corner. And, and that support itself also love and the wish for, uh, for happiness. Um, it's, it's right there. It's our nature. So um, I hope I've, uh, this talk, I apologize if anything I said uh, was confusing you. Uh, and, and I definitely have to learn myself a lot to understand uh, some of these points. Uh, I just hope I pull some of these teachings together to uh, give some um, inspiration for you in your practice. And, and I'm looking forward to practicing with you in, in the next few steps. Shoho, could you take one last question from Maureen? Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll do the chant. Could you lead us in the chant, Marco Choho? Uh, sure, sure. But uh, first, Maureen's question. Go ahead. Thank you, Marco. Um, hi, Shoho. Hi there. Hi. So um, lovely. I mean, I really appreciate your talk. And um, could, could you address a little bit like living in... Um, like the work world, right? So I'm still living in a work world. It's, you know, looks at production, looks, I mean, it's it's competitive. It's about state funding and the legislature and lobbyists and advocacy. And so it's, it is competitive towards ideally some goods like, you know, women's healthcare or insurance for people. And, and so it's that world. And so could you talk a little bit about kind of this swinging door? Like I think of that Suzuki, right? We're kind of in the world and when I'm in there, it's not, it feels less open and magical, <laughs> although sometimes that happens, right? But it feels kind of crazy and competitive. And so any, any thoughts or directions about, you know, kind of blending those a little bit more? Absolutely, yeah. Um, com uh, competition, I, I keep thinking of some uh, form of um, ambition, yeah? There's like a certain having a set uh, of goals to achieve and having a set of um, um, knowing that you are basically on the front line of achieving this goal. Like I think for us, for example, many of us wanting to change the healthcare law, we are, you know, in the periphery of that 
form of um, change uh, versus you're uh, in an environment where uh, most people are know they can um, uh, contribute to some form of change very clearly, but also are, are using all kinds of means uh, to do so. And obviously maybe not like using cause and effect, but maybe to their own gain. So it's very self-oriented. Yeah, it's very oriented towards their own um, a goal of accomplishment. And yet at the same time, I definitely uh, would recommend um, adding that app to your phone <laughs> if you can. And um, consider it also includes bowing into the direction of Bodhgaya, which is kind of uh, just a, a, a creative way of, um, of basically saying there is something that's higher. So if you're in, in the thick of it and it's really hard for you to see the space because there's so much aggression, yeah, uh, just uh, basically like um, bouncing at each other. Uh, for you to know to to know that um, space, like just moments of space, and they're really tiny in your realm. You know, there could be split seconds uh, um, of space, but they are there. And these split seconds to be able to harness them as a form of knowing that uh, that this is not this is like it's created. Um, it's a created situation. Um, and it's created to our ignorance. Yeah, like I just this quote I was just reading about um, that uh, that the driving force is uh, ignorance. And uh, these people are still trying to work with, you know, the best intention. Everybody works with the best intention. But it's it's about power. It's trying to harness power. And to know that it's just a dream in the sense of um, for you to really see it that like to like, for example, like while it's super important for the healthcare of women for probably the next 300 years, in the next thousand years, there might not be even a Texas, you know? So there is kind of like inviting that kind of, like for you to be in the hotspot and in the periphery at the same time, that's allowing that space of creativity to unfold. Um, you know what I'm saying? So if, if you are able to get, be um, able to learn this paradox, like, um, in, in the workspace, which is like, it totally matters. And because it matters so much, you need to like, naturally you need to sit and sit a little bit, right? Like uh, what Kuhn likes to say. So because it matters so much, don't take it too serious, you know, like, <laughs> because if you take it too serious, you might miss the opportunity of creativity. And I, I definitely have been in those moments where it was so important. And then I, uh, I kind of freeze and because it's so important and I have to say the right thing, otherwise the opportunity slips away and it missed and whatever, you know, and, and then that kind of freeze contributes to that missing versus um, to, to, to like, yes, it's super important, but at the same time, it's not important. Yes, it's super, at the same time, it's not important. Like it, it, you need to be able to hold the paradox of importance and non-importance in order to allow for the space and the, the creativity, like to say, you know, and again, a thousand years, nobody probably cares, you know, what happened, you know, or whatever. It might contribute to what happens in a thousand years, but new things will be on the table in a thousand years. So having that kind of spaciousness um, that, um, that makes it then more into a game, like see it more as a game. And once you see it more like as a game, which you probably already see because sometimes uh, the competition is like kind of a, 
game kind of idea but if it's a competition of like you will have another chance you know like the 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 kind of like uh playfulness of like i'm trying but i will have another chance you know there will be another chance and if it's not through me somebody else will do it you know like if it's not you then somebody else will have the other chance why because justice is just our nature you know if you want justice it's just our inherent wish for you know equality uh 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 everybody being happy everybody be free of suffering it's our nature so even if in your shot of things uh things don't work out there will be somebody else for sure who will work for them and stand up for it because that's a form of um compassion compassion is our nature um so so yeah. able to hold the paradox able to hold some space being able to be creative with the situation not taking yourself too serious or anybody really serious you know <laughs> yeah imagine people be like you know having red noses or something you know i mean just be be playful with whatever like pink playfulness uh, in there and allow creativity to come in and at the same time no even if it's not working out right now our true nature won't let it rest there will be another layer of you know generations of people standing up for this because it's you know our true nature just wants it so you know it wants to come through it might not come through in a particular uh, formation or um 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 phrasing you know it might not be the exact phrasing or formation but it might be in a different way uh, so that the because it's our nature because we are want to be happy and we don't want to suffer that's why we keep having a conversation and also you know um the us versus them just seeing what are the other people's what how do they approach happiness that's kind of a curious you probably already did you know of like who are these other people and why are they you know also mean about the thing but also know that's where your compassion comes in to be like seeing somebody using meanness and um um violence uh basically and uh, corruption in order to get their end they might win the game but they are harvesting so much negativity and on virtue and non virtue it's hard wrenching you know some of these politicians sometimes i think they're accruing so much negativity how would they ever i mean it's just painful to see their future life will be horrible i mean how could anybody live with some of the choices they're making you know uh just like the the form of a question they use in their speech for example and slandering others uh that must be horrible for them to walk around and feeling everybody slandering them because everything you know what you do will come back to you you know there is a certain kind of um justice already in cause and effect uh inherently in there so for for seeing like again this compassion to be like wow somebody made really an unvirtuous move but they're having to reap the consequences of it which is like you know so as much as possible you not get involved in non virtue and uh and having compassion for the ones who do um knowing that they will reap the consequences of it uh it's it it's a major practice in compassion so i totally encourage you to keep reading on and and studying and look for instructions on on compassion of how you can employ that for yourself first of all feeling the pain of having to witness horrendous situations but also is watching other people getting into trouble yeah and wishing them to be free wishing them to be free of their trouble yeah yeah welcome
Thank you so much, Shoho. And uh, we look forward to seeing some of you, maybe all of you, uh, this afternoon at three for our ice cream farewell gathering. Thank you.